How is it going, everybody? And welcome to the next installment of You Guessed It, the Stupid Questions podcast. Today on the podcast, we are going to have an awesome professional athlete by the name of Garrick Lowen. He is a member of the Real Triathlon Squad. So if you've listened to our past episodes with Tamara or Jackson, or as Garrick tells us, he likes to be called Jack or potentially Snack, um, and Nicholas Chase and others, um, if you've heard those episodes, he is from that same team. He also runs the... um, Real Triathlon podcast. We'll have link that in the show notes as well. Um, just a great conversation where we get to hear a little bit about Garrick's upbringing, uh, his short course days, all the way until his or to his long course days, uh, meeting RTS, starting a podcast. He shares some pretty deep stories about how he lost his mom to cancer uh, just over a year ago. Uh, we talk about marriage, we talk about family, talk about all kinds of things. So without further ado, thank you for checking it out. This is Garrick Lowen. Well, hey, Garrick, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's been fun getting to know all the other RTS, Real Triathlon Squad members, and I think I have you and two more, and then I think I've hit pretty much everybody. So super excited to have you here. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, not every day that um, maybe a pro at my level gets asked to do a podcast, so it's exciting. Oh, yeah, man. Super fun. Uh, it's It's been a super joy of mine um, just across the spectrum, getting to know different pros and stuff, regardless of their social media account. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. So um, how I like to start the podcast typically is asking a little bit of a third person type of a question. Who is Garrick? <laughs> who is Garrick? Um, well, I guess you'd have to maybe ask my wife if you want to know who Garrick was. Okay. Uh, maybe we no. will. <laughs> um. No, Garrick, I mean, Garrick's a professional triathlete, um, for, I've been doing this, I guess I got my pro card right out of junior, like I did the whole junior development thing, um, with, uh, TriCan, we had our, our junior series here, and then, uh, at Age Group Worlds, I got silver, uh, when I was 19, so that qualified me for my pro card, um, for the first few years, I was, um, for U23, Mm-hmm. I was doing all the draft legal stuff. Um, you're kind of, when you got, when you're like funded, you're kind of restricted, uh, on, sure. uh, what you can do. And, um, so I focused on short course, but the goal was always to move more to long course. And that's kind of where, where, where my heart was, where, where I wanted to be. Sure. And, um, along the way I kept going to school and, uh, I pursued, so I worked uh, as a prosthetic technician while I was racing and, and going to school mm-hmm. uh, throughout my undergrad. And then after that, I went to school officially for prosthetic uh, technical at George Brown in Toronto. And then oh, um, I pursued my master's at Eastern Michigan University for the clinical okay. side of uh, prosthetics and orthotics. And um, yeah, I, I guess you could say my prosthetic career is a bit more successful than my pro career, but I, uh, officially got certified, finished up my residency and got certified in uh, September of this year, actually. So, okay. uh, so yeah, I would say I'm a, a part-time clinical prosthetist and a part-time pro triathlete. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I, it seems to be, uh, the more people I talk to on the podcast and off the podcast that that's for the majority of professional triathletes that seems to be like that you got to split it because it's not super easy to make money in this sport, at least um, kind of like even like you have to be like, I would say probably top, I don't know, maybe you correct me, top 50 to like really like, oh, I can start to breathe a little bit and not have to stress about making money. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And even the guys that I know that are in the top 50, um, just to make it work, they're incredibly cheap. Yeah. So one one thing when, when I was racing, and um, I know it's great to be, you know, all in and everything all the time, but you can only do it for so long. And uh, at the end of the day, no matter what professional sport you're in, whether you're part of the big four um, or you're in triathlon, like you're going to need an out, right? You need, you yeah. need to go somewhere when you're done in triathlon, especially. And I kind of looked at what the earning potential is in triathlon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, if I want to start a family, do I want my ability to put food on the table and provide housing to be reliant on a flat tire or a bad day? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or do I want a steady income that not only allows me to, you know, be a little more relaxed when I go to races, but sure. um, it allows me to find the joy in the sport and and really enjoy the sport more than dealing with all that pressure. And I think I found a pretty good uh, balance right now. And um, so I'm excited to keep pursuing this. It's, it's only really recently that I've been working my entire career to be able to be at like race at a professional level, but at the same time, have a professional career and whether that means doing both of them part-time you know that's fine but at least I can breathe and um you know I can live comfortably I can go to races and not stress out with regards to expenses and stuff like that and yeah for sure that's kind of where I am now so yeah yeah it's interesting you you share that because the more I I think about it I'm almost tempted to say that the athletes that are outside of that are a little bit more advantaged in long-term potential because those whose identity is split between professional athlete, but also having a sense of purpose outside where you can make a living, you know, cause we're all, we're not all going to be young forever. And, you know, once you get to, if you're young 42, um, you know, and you decide to retire, there's a, there's a lot of life to live. There's like more than 50% of your life potentially. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting hearing that. So everybody wants to be, I would love to be, you know, world champ and stuff like that. And, you know, just have everything handed to me on a silver spoon for a number of years. But I think long term, it's good to have something else there that you can kind of tie your identity to and and, and shaped and mold to. Yeah, yeah, it's been. It's like because for years I did the whole, you know, I'd go all in. Um, I'd work a couple months out of the year, and then it would be like no school, no work, just focus yeah. on triathlon. And like by the end, by the last couple months, like you're, you're showing up to a race and you're like, man, I hope they pay me cash. So I can, you know, put gas in the car and get home. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So where are you from? I assume Canada. I heard some Canadian and I hear a couple of the Canadian, uh, accents coming through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was, um, raised in a small town just outside of Windsor, Ontario called LaSalle, Ontario. Um, <laughs> and that's still where my parents live. I still work in Windsor, but right now I'm living in um, just outside Detroit and I commute in three days a week. Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah, still in the air. So still from Canada, um, born and raised in Canada. And um, yeah, so you might know another triathlete that's from the Windsor area. He's um, mildly successful. His name's like Lionel Sanders. Yeah, I was thinking Windsor. Why do I know that name so well? And I was like, is it Lionel that's from Windsor? <laughs> yeah. So that's super neat. Lionel, Lionel and I actually, my very first triathlon 
uh, Lionel was in it. It was the local Leamington triathlon. And I think he passed oh, really? me at like, yeah, he passed me at like 5k on the bike. How old were you at that time? I was, uh, 16, I believe. Okay. So he was, are you guys relatively the same age? No, he's, he's at least, he's probably good. He's getting mad at me, but he's probably about 10 years older than me. <laughs> oh, really? How old are you? No, I'm 28 right now. Okay, nice. So, the beard is years, deceptive. Yeah. I was I was going to guess like young, early 30s. Yeah, so I do the beard just because, just to get like, like working in the healthcare field, working with doctors and stuff, oh, yeah. um, you need to like seem a little older mm-hmm. and just to get a bit of respect. So uh, I try to maintain the beard um, for all except for racing. Yeah, for sure. Do you know who Evan Price is? Evan Price. Uh, name he is, very he is, I, it's actually blanking me. I want to say he's out West. Anyway, he's a, he's a doctor of physical therapy, but also a professional triathlete. He did okay. St. Anthony's. He's a, uh, uh, I think he's a part of the, no, not on your left, or maybe he's on your left. I think he is. Anyway, he was telling a story on one of the first episodes we did about how when he graduated, uh, he was basically telling everyone he was 33 for like the first seven years of his physical <laughs> therapy career because everyone's like, no one wants to hear you're a doctor at 27 or 25 and they're like, wait, I don't yeah. want you working on me. So yeah, it <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what is your family like? What was it like growing up? Do you have siblings? Yeah. Uh, I had an older sister or still have an older sister. Uh, and then mom and dad. That was nice Canadian family. Much. Yeah. A standard yeah. Canadian family. Um, mom's French mom was French Canadian. Um, and my dad is from um, from out west, so he's from Alberta, British Columbia area. Mm, so yeah, so one from out east, one from out west. So we get the full full spectrum of Canada. So I assume he migrated eastward for your mom. Yeah, there's a long story there, but they they met out west and they settled, eventually settled in Windsor, um, but they went slowly east. So they went Toronto to London. To, uh, to London, okay. Yeah, to London, Ontario, to which is halfway okay. between Windsor and Toronto. Nice. Yeah, just down the four hundred one. Yeah, nice. You can tell my geographical knowledge is limited because I was like, "Oh, London, okay." We moved yeah. over to Europe and back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we pause for just one second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, do yeah. it. Yeah. Sorry, I just gotta. The patient. I'll make it a reel gotta... and then yeah. Okay. <laughs> Give me like thirty seconds. I'll be right back. No, you're totally fine. So, um, where were we at? Uh, family. So your yeah. family ended up in Windsor. Um, yep. you have a sibling. So how did your parents influence your life to like where you're going to college, I would assume at the university of Windsor and then, you know, getting into human kinetics and things. Yeah. Like that? Uh, I guess, I mean, they really shaped it. Right. So, uh, my dad actually owns a prosthetic practice. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door when I was, I think it started at about 12. I started coming in on Sundays and cleaning the office. And um, that was one of my first jobs. And then, uh, so I did that for years. Um, and then there was, I think when, once I got, once I was in university, um, at that point I was, I just started working or I had been working for about a year or two at a, a running store and um, I had other jobs like serving and bartending and stuff like that. Um, and at, um, 
it was like a wet it was a events hall is where i was working okay. in that and then um he he uh he said he needed a bit of help around around the office we had lost the tech uh and so i come in and at no point did my dad ever tell me like Dude, did he ever suggest that he wanted me to take over the business or do anything like that really he um he actually told me multiple times not to get into this just really yeah yeah he almost tried to to push me out of it a bit but i came in and just the hands-on nature of it really interested me and like the variety uh and at that point i still wasn't sure if i wanted to go to university uh, or if I wanted to go to like a trades college or something like that. And so this really sparked my interest and just like the hands-on nature um, and the mechanical um, aspect of it, being sure. a tech and, and all that. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. Um, and at that time, so that would have been in university. So then I, I started dropping my other jobs and working more and more here. And then I got mm-hmm. to know know the patients and, and growing up too, like you always go to functions and, and you meet, you meet patients out in the community. Like it's a small family practice here, right? There's, we're three employees and my dad's the, he does it all from the secretarial duties to um, right. like running the day to day. So you oh, meet all these patients and a lot of these patients almost become family, right? Uh, because you mm-hmm. have such a close tie with them like that. And so I, I was like, it just kind of feels natural for me to like move into this. Hmm. Um, all while at the same time, I would say my mom's side of the family is what really gave me that like interest in sports. Um, like my, my, um, grandfather on my mom's side, he's a very well-known, um, youth hockey coach in Quebec city. Okay. Uh, and he did that a lot and he, he was always very interested in sports and it was growing. It was a very sport oriented family on that side. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like normal to, to play sports. And, um, I went to, because my mom was, a, um, she taught at the French school board. So I went to, um, the French school here that was very, very much known for sports. Mm-hmm. And so I just naturally picked up sports and I was always, you know, one of the better athletes, um, when you're playing and, and stuff and, and that my, um, my gym teacher there, her husband was, uh, Dan Murray, who most wouldn't know, but he's the very first Canadian to win a world cup for triathlon. He did, it was like 93 or something like that. Um, okay. so that's how I heard about triathlon and playing hockey that was my main focus. Um, and then when I eventually got to 15, 16 is your draft year, I didn't get drafted. Mm -hmm. And then I got kind of some interest from the local junior B team. And they said, well, you know, I kind of got cut and they kind of sent me down to junior C here. And I was like, I've had too many concussions. I don't need to do this. So I went back to my, to her and was like, you know, I need a new sport. Give me something. Or do you have a triathlon coach? that you know of and she hooked me up with my current triathlon coach who's been around ever since but um yeah that was kind of it and my mom was always very supportive of my sporting career uh where Mm -hmm. my dad never really took a big interest he still doesn't really understand triathlon 
Um, <laughs> but like he, he was cool with the hockey stuff and like, he was always a trainer on the team and stuff, but he doesn't really understand triathlon. Uh, but, uh, yeah, my mom was like always my number one fan. And she was always the first one to call me after my races and she was always following. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, she really was like always the one pushing me to yeah. like stay motivated in this, even sure. though I am like fairly intrinsically motivated, but yeah, my mom was, was always a big supporter. Do you, um, do you, or have you ever wished or hoped that your dad would be more interested in what you're doing with triathlon? No, um, uh, <laughs> I will. No, I shouldn't say like, you know, he gets competitive and he likes uh, to watch the races. Um, he's still su- supportive in the fact that if I want him to come to a race, he'll, he'll come to a race, but there's no, like, if I DNF from a race, he's, he's not emotionally invested in it. It's not like yeah. a big deal for him. It's just like, this is something his kid does and he supports it as much as he can. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's not like, uh, and I think, yeah, it's not like he's ever been like, you need to quit this sport and start and come home and, you know, and, yeah. and like that, he's always been like, yeah, sure. Go live your life. Take five months off of school and take a whole semester off school pursue this just make sure you got to finish that stuff like you know make sure you finish school make sure you you get there so yeah it sounds like his upbringing may have been more along the lines of i need to go to college and make something of myself is that accurate or inaccurate um actually so his dad was a foreman on the um trans canada uh pipeline back when they were building it yeah Yeah, well Um, so my dad started with that actually. And then he was a logger in BC and then he was a lineman, um, before going back to school and stuff. I think the big thing is like, but that's, you know, that's out West. That's kind of a different world. Um, here. Yeah. My, my dad was more like, make sure you have a plan for stability in your life. Yeah. Right. Because like there is, there's no stability in triathlon. Yeah. So your mom's the dreamer, your dad's the realist. Where's your sister sit in this spectrum? Um I don't know. She's uh she's I mean she definitely doesn't understand triathlon in the slightest. Like she still sends me links to marathons and she's like, "Are you doing this race?" and like <laughs> wait, wait a second. How long have you been doing professional triathlon now? It's been like since 2016. it's been yeah it's been since i was 20 so it's been at least eight years right oh my goodness yeah um yeah she doesn't she doesn't understand she's you know but she's she's never really been around um she yeah she's she lives in montreal now and she's got her family and stuff and yeah um it's as much as like the average person knows about triathlons you know yeah so so, yeah. so where do you sit in between these, the, these worlds? I think I know quite a bit about triathlon. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of your optimism and like where you're wanting to go in the future, are you, do you want to try to go be best in the world? Do you believe that that could happen? Like, you know, do you want to, yeah. There was, if you asked me, um, like when I first moved into long course, what mm-hmm. my goal was, I'd say, and this, this was back when I was 
going to school and stuff. And I'd be like, you know what? Yeah. Like I want to be the best in the world. I'm going to finish my school and I'm going to go full time and, and see what happens. And, um, but, um, kind of a lot has happened since then. And, um, for me, my big goal is, okay, how good can I be with the life I have decided to live? And then the opportunities that that have been presented to me based on that, but also with the inherent struggles that have come, come with that. It's like, Mm -hmm. how good can I be? And, and I still think, you know, there's, I still think I have, I can make it to world champs and be competitive and consistently, you know, get like top tens, top fives. Um, I guess we're at like, you know, 70.3s and Ironmans and, um, like I still, you know, I have goals. I'd like to go sub eight in Ironman, which seems to be like an everyday thing now, but, um, and I'd love, I'd love to go to whether it's Kona or Nice or 70.3 world champs. Um, I just, yeah, it just seems like I've had so much just like hit me as I've moved up into long course. A lot of that has been delayed, but, um, I, I wouldn't say that like I'm as externally motivated anymore as I am intrinsically motivated. Like for me, it's, I just want to be the absolute best I can wherever that falls, that falls. Now that doesn't mean that when I tow the line in a race, I'm not like, Oh, that guy went by me. Oh, well, but I'm doing my best. Like I'm still like, I still hate the guy next to me and I still want to bury him. Right. Like it's so, yeah. So if I'm, so you sound like you're actually a lot older than 28. Um, it sounds like you got a lot of wisdom wrapped up in there, but it also seems like you have gone through some stuff that has brought you into a different mindset, like the intrinsic motivation. What happened? What, if you don't mind sharing some of those things? Yeah. So, um, very, so this is almost coinciding exactly with when I, I, um, stepped up to long course. So when I first Mm -hmm. made that step up, um, that exact year, my mom was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. It's a mm. mucosal melanoma. And at that time I was in Toronto. So I was far away from the family. It was just my mom and my dad here. My sister was also in Montreal at school away. And, um, when she was first diagnosed with this, we, we were kind of trying to figure out what, what we we're going to do. Um, and then, she, she had some radiation treatment, uh, and we thought, you know, it was, it was going to be okay. And then, um, I guess to follow the timeline, I guess I had my first long course race. I got a flat tire finished way back. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know what? I'll get it next time. And then between that and my next race, my mom ended up in the hospital and, um, mm-hmm. we were told like, oh yeah, okay. She's, she's going to die. And I still remember mm-hmm. just, um, so I, I had come home from Toronto and dropped out of school and um and I remember my dad and I sitting down in the cafeteria at the hospital and it was like, look, it's it's just us now. You know, like it's just us. Um like my mom was she had retired at that point, she was helping my dad in the business, so then it was just him and mm. and I was like, All right, what are we gonna do here? Um in that stint she actually ended up uh recovering and when she was able to get to treatment at that point. So we like pulled, almost pulled it back from the ledge. It feels like, but I was like, okay, I can't go back to Toronto. I can't go back to school. I'm going to come in 
work as much and help as much as I can. Um, yeah. The family and I'll move in back with my parents to help take care of my mom because she still wasn't healthy at that time. Um, she had just started her immunotherapy and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to train when I can. I'm, I'll race Waco. And th- this was 2018, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, train a fair amount, did my second 70.3 race. Uh, and then that week we had, or that weekend that I had gone out to that race, I actually had a, a pretty good race, especially looking back on the training that I did. I ended up finishing ninth or eighth or something like that in Waco. Wow. Um, but that weekend, my mom had gotten readmitted into the hospital um, because she wasn't, the immunotherapy was hitting her like really hard and she spent mm-hmm. about a month in the hospital after that. So I was off training for a whole month. Um, you know, that might've been, 2019 sorry yeah 2018 and or 2018 in december she got diagnosed 2019 that was this year so waco 2019 and then she's in the hospital 2019 um and so i went home started working with my dad and stuff like that took a bunch of time off um and then 2020 we all know what happened in uh 2020 COVID. Um, but mom yeah covid so mom was doing okay for a couple of years there immunotherapy was was working um i came back worked for my dad and then we're like okay mom's doing pretty good now i don't want to be too far so i decided to pursue my education at eastern michigan university which is just 45 minutes down the road yeah for my master's um and so everything was good but my main focus at that point was was school and you know we're going through the pandemic and all that of course so never really got got to race but while I was training, I had um, I started getting some pretty bad hip issues. So in 2021, I went through two hip surgeries. Is this for AFI uh, or whatever it's called? Uh, uh, F F A I yeah F- femoral tabular impingement. August so I went through thing. yeah yeah so I went through um, surgery for that. Actually, I was you know. I don't like to brag, but I kind of set a trend and uh, it was kind of like cutting edge, you know, <laughs> yeah. now that everyone's getting the surgery, it's not cool anymore. But yeah. basically that, that took me out cause I had to get both sides done. That took me out for six to eight months almost. Um, oh my word, dude. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, so I start coming back and then I tear my soleus. What's and that? so that is the deep muscle in your calf. Ouch. It's it's the one under the gastroc. Um, oh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so the the two the the two like bulging heads in your yeah. calf that's the gastrocs, and then below okay. that or yeah deep into that yeah. is is your soleus. Okay, and that goes down um, to your like um your and Achilles. It goes down. Yeah, it's the other muscle that connects to your Achilles. So there's two muscles. Just there's the gastroc and the soleus that connect into your Achilles. Soleus okay. is the other one. So it's a, it's a very annoying injury to have because like day to day it's fine because Mm -hmm. it's more of like a slow twitch thing. So once you start working it, then it aggravates. So you don't really know when you're over it or not. It's not like a gastroc there where it's just sore all the time. Um, but so that actually it's something, uh, so like Ruth Astle, she went through it this year. 
nuts. If, if you follow any of her uh, social media, she was, she was dealing with that. Um, it's something that takes like, just even right. to get back, it can take eight, six to eight weeks. Right. So, wow. um, anyway, so yeah, so, so I struggled with that. And then, uh, so that would have been 2022 graduated and then I uh, got my master's and then it was time to, you know, I was like, all right, injured but i'm gonna start my residency and spoke with my dad and it was like okay or go part-time i'm gonna do a part-time so that i can do three days a week plus i'll do all my charting and everything like that outside of the office yeah. and then i can focus the rest of my time um on triathlon and so yes yeah, sl- uh spent a couple months slowly building up and at that point so it's now august uh 2022 and um we find out that the cancer has returned, um, mm. from my mom and all this at all at this point, she was doing great. Like she was living her life. It was, it was awesome throughout the whole pandemic. Um, she was great, right? Like there was no, um, issues. She yeah. didn't need any care, anything like that. And then, um, August, it kind of hit her and, um, she ended up dying September 15th, oh, dude, 2022. So yeah. Thanks. So, um, really that was August, September. Like I took the whole time off, um, just to kind of be with family and stuff like that. And then, uh, October, I was like, you know what? Uh, I gotta get back to doing this again. You know, like I gotta, I gotta get back to sport. Um, so I started training in October and signed up for Cabo, which was, horrendous but off of like four weeks three four weeks of training uh but i was like so happy to be back out there and that's when i kind of really changed my perspective on the sport and just so grateful to be out there after going Mm. through all that and not being sure you know if i could and anything like that and then um yeah raced indian wells that was new experience there first time ever getting a penalty in a race um Yeah, which, you know, we're we're never gonna think that we actually did anything wrong. But uh, well, what was the penalty so far? Were you uh, it was for it, it was for slotting in. Um, oh. The only issue was when I spoke to the official. He gave me a slotting in penalty, but he said I never entered the draft zone of the athlete in front of me, so that that doesn't you can't the slot count. in if if you never entered the draft zone of the athlete in front of you. But um, either That's way, funny. I was you know, I was still not super fit. So I was still my ways back. And then, um, I also, so my dad and I had kind of decided like, he wants to travel now. So he's like, Hey, find these cool races, man. Let's just go places. Um, so we went to Pukan in January and, um, that was a cool trip. Uh, so yeah, we're going to try and find some other races that are fun. He's coming with me to, uh, Florida this year not that that's like an exotic destination or anything like that but yeah um yeah he's been tagging along quite a bit now so yeah that's awesome uh, thanks for sharing uh that super raw um and I'm sure very real and new thing um so I lost my dad when I was 16 um and you know yeah, it, it was then. it was actually October 16th yeah thank you um October 16 was like the 15 year anniversary and even 15 years later like it always everything we do is cyclical from training to how things grow to whatever. And our, I think our mental bodies are the same way. 
and that always comes back around and it's always a difficult thing. It does get better with time and as you deal with stuff, I think, but um, at least that's been my experience, but um, I can only imagine how that's shifted the way that you view life, triathlon, the way that you carry yourself and you're motivated and still so fresh. Like, do you feel like you're working through it? Okay. Like you doing all right. I know this is super personal. Yeah. Question, so, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, you went through it, so you know it better than anyone else. Um, and you went through it at, at a more like vulnerable age too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I had a lot more stability in my life when it happened. Um, sure. I'm forever grateful for those four years that we managed to have my mom around from the first time that we had her. And that allowed me to get to a point in my life where it was like, I was a lot more accepting of that. Um, and like, I'm forever grateful for those four years because every time I hugged my mom, every time I talked to my mom, like it was to me, it felt like a blessing. Right. And, um, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to lose someone so suddenly, especially at such a young age, but the best advice I got, um, was everyone mourns differently and people do weird shit. So I've noticed that and, um, you kind of just have to accept that. So, yeah, but well, that's good that you learned to accept it. I ignored it for many years and it, and it fizzled up to one point. I actually thought I was going insane and I was like literally sitting at my high school in the middle of uh, this field, had a breakdown and I looked over and there was a squirrel like five feet away from me. And I was like, I'm just going to talk to this squirrel and I'm going to find <laughs> hopefully friendship in this squirrel. It's a really strange time, but it's it, it, mourning is like such a hard thing to like truly grapple with. And even though, you know, you said you had like those four years, which I'm sure added a lot of just um what's the word i'm looking for a lot of intentionality with the interactions and stuff you can never truly prepare for that stuff i don't think we we're meant for and created for to experience things like death no it's still yeah. something that's just hard to comprehend right yeah but that's so neat that your dad is coming along the trips now um how's he doing cuz i know that's yeah. to lose a loved one it's like phew. it's I mean, yeah, it's a big adjustment for him too, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's been cool having him along and like traveling with him, like going to races by yourself and stuff. Sometimes just boring. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it can be tough. Yeah, you can lose some enjoyment from it there, and at least you got something to to share it with. But um, yeah, no, it's been cool having the company, and I will say it's a lot cheaper when he comes along because he yeah. does cover a lot of uh, like just eating and all the stuff that comes along with being outside the house he tends to pay for it so really yeah really nice softens the blow a little bit exactly (laughs) nice um so i want to switch gears just a little bit i was doing some hunting on the interwebs and saw that your role models are your parents and these this was maybe an older entry so we'll see how this goes but james loring who i think we've talked about just briefly and then scott stevens uh who are they and why are they your role models so james James was like my first role model in the sport that um, I knew on a personal level. Yeah. Uh, so he was he was my first coach, but just he had so many experiences of racing everywhere around the world, training everywhere around the world that um, I really looked up to him. And especially so that when I had when I wrote that out, um, like he was to me, he was like still just this huge wealth of knowledge. And we've come to a point now working together for maybe 12 years um, where we're a lot more on um, it's a little less of like a hundred percent coach just 
and then a hundred percent athlete. And we're, yeah. we're kind of sharing the, the load a bit more. Um, but Scott Stevens is, um, he was, a uh, famous, he played for the New Jersey devils. Uh, he was just a very is that a hockey aggressive. Team? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he was a very aggressive, um, like defenseman and he just played with, with the level of like aggression and tenacity that I was always very envious of. Um, and that I will always re- want to replicate across all, all sports, um, whether it was hockey or soccer or triathlon. Mm. Um, so, um, I always looked up to him just being able to do that day in and day out is like, you know, very intense. Yeah. It's very intense. And it's, um, I guess envious is, is the way you could put it, but that's like, that's always my cue too, when I'm racing and I feel the lull, um, and like I lose, lose that intensity and that drive during a race. I just think it's a cue that I've always used since I was a kid. Um, it's just yeah. like Scott Stevens and, to me, it just perks me up and it's like, okay, just like stay on it. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to have those motivators. So do you still keep in pretty close contact with Scott? Oh, I don't know Scott personally. Oh, you don't? I, okay. No, so no, no. Like... I just watched, like when I was a kid, I'd watch. He was like, he played in the 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Is he around? Is he still alive? Like we should, we should look him up and send him this reel because. Yeah. And then yeah, get like an interview with both of you guys. Scott Stevens. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's definitely still alive. Yeah. Nice from with the Devils from ninety two to two thousand four. He had a long career in hockey. I feel like does he have teeth left? I don't watch hockey, but I know I it's like a brutal sport. His, yeah, his brain might be a little mush now. Yeah, all the concussions and stuff. But. Yeah, that's insane. That's crazy. Okay, good deal. That's awesome. Uh, so let's go back um, before long course, and then when did you first get into endurance sport? How did you get into like the short course stuff, and why did or did it not work out the way you planned? Yeah, so um, I guess getting into it, like I had said before, you know, just really it was too many concussions playing hockey. Uh, but before that, I was I in grade school or elementary school, uh, as you guys call it in the States. I, um, I was a decent runner. Uh, and okay. then in high school, I was an okay runner. Um, and and. I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I guess I could do this. But then I was like, not that good. You know, like I was good enough where I could win. Like for city, I'd finish like top three or for county, mm-hmm. I'd finish like top three. And then like the regional meet, I could, wasn't that top three, top five. And then, um, but like the guys that were beating me were beating me quite substantially. And they both went off to run like D1 in, in the States. Okay. And, uh, when we go to provincial champs, I was top 40, top 50. Like it was, it was, it was good enough to like run in university. But, um, I was also like, this is kind of boring just doing like running, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to get into cycling and, uh, I was like, oh, this triathlon sport's pretty cool that my teacher had talked about before um maybe i should get into that and then uh it kind of started from there and i had a a really big jump from so i started i was about 16 when i started and that first year was just kind of getting my getting my feet wet i had like a 400 road bike 
um the it was called it was a rei special there the novara oh, yeah. bono yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably and, aluminum uh, i assume yeah oh it had a carbon fork oh nice yeah i remember yeah. when that was a thing like a selling point it has a carbon fork <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so so yeah so I, I rode that bike um and then the next year when i was 17 18 um i had an i got another bike and um my first race or second race first race in canada you know, I trained for a couple weeks and, uh, after track season in high school and I, it was just happened to be provincial champs. That was like our local triathlon. And I got a spot to the world champs in London, 2013, 2012, uh, okay, the nice. year after, yeah, it would have been 2013. Um, so the age group world champs there. And, uh, I was like, okay, cool. I guess, guess we're doing this. And, um, uh, I was like, sweet, uh, let's go. Yeah. And, and so we went, uh, or that was, so then the next year we went, but that year I had done my first draft legal race. So we used to have this really good, um, national series that was, so all the juniors in Canada, you know, we do this circuit, it was four races and your top three races would rank you and stuff like that. Um, and so for me, I did, I was like, I'm just going to do one, you know, there's one that's like a few hours down the road. Let's give it a try. See what happens. Got destroyed. Uh, I thought I was like decently good. Cause I had like, you know, done like age group provincial champs and I finished, yeah. I don't know what is second or third or something. And, um, yeah, I got destroyed in the swim and stuff like that. And, um, I was like, okay, well, I still want to keep doing this. And so the next year, uh, you know, I swam in high school. So I joined the high school swim team, was like full on. Uh, and then the next year I raced and well, it was my last year junior. And lo and behold, I was top 10 in the country, right? Like I finished in the series, I finished, I don't know what it was like eighth or ninth or something like that. And um, oh, wow. I remember going going to the first first race of the season was in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Saskatoon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um great names. Yeah, exactly. And uh I finished I don't remember where I finished, it was probably like eighth or ninth. And the uh, provincial coach came up to me, no idea who I was, and was like, Wow, like where did you come from? What like, you know, started talking to him and stuff and then um that's when I like really picked up the sport and that year worlds was in Edmonton for age group worlds, not the junior elite, but the age group worlds I raced, uh, and I ended up finishing second. Okay. And yeah, that's where I got my pro card. And, uh, how old were you at this point? You said, so that was 19, 19. Yeah. So that was 2014. And then, um, the next year, so I got my pro card and then I started racing, uh, the, it wasn't the escape series then, but they had uh, a few like elite, um, elite non-drafting Olympic stuff. And then, uh, so I did that. And then I did all the continental cups that were in the area. And, um, cause back then it was like, at this age, you're doing this racing because it's for development. Yeah. And then eventually I ended up getting funded. Um, Oof. so 
that comes with like you at the time they were like no you can't race longer than an olympic or you're gonna lose your funding so it was all that's so weird the, yeah uh so it was all the um the non-drafting olympic and the continental cups and um i had raced twice i went to world university champs and when it was in sweden i was uh the captain for team canada so that was that was cool and that kind of capped off my career there but that same was it that same year two years it, around that time i uh i well i done uh uh escape series which is once upon a time for two years the escape had this series of non-drafting olympic races and yeah. you had to finish in the top 10 to qualify for alcatraz okay. if you wanted to go and not and not get an invitational spot so I had qualified through that series. I think I ended up finishing like six or something. And I had a podium that was my only ever podium at a professional race. But, and then, uh, raced Alcatraz, which was great. And, um, and then I think it was the next year maybe that I made my step up to long course and, um, yeah, 2019. Nice man. Yeah. So then, um, at what point when you start doing long course stuff post that, did you get, um, I guess, noticed or meet someone within RTS, Real Triathlon Squad? So during the pandemic, um, like there was no no RTS, but um, Jack, so Jack and I have been training together. We actually lived together for multiple summers way back starting in, it would have been that 2014 year, the year that I um, meddled at worlds there. Okay. We lived together. That was the first time that we lived together for four or five months. And, um, so Jack and we had trained together every summer after that, essentially. Uh, is it Jackson laundry? Correct? Jackson laundry. Yeah. Okay. Does he prefer Jack? Yeah. Yeah. We call him okay. Jack. Good to know. I should probably. Yeah. Jack or okay. we call him snack too. We call him snack sometimes. I mean, we've got quite a few names for him, but yeah. Okay. Um, clearing that up. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so we, we were like, and he had met Nick at St. Anthony's triathlon and Nick had come trained with us a bit. So we were all in touch and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, one day it would have been early 2020, about February, March, like literally two weeks before the pandemic happened. I was like, man, we should start a podcast. Everyone's doing podcasts. We got to get on this. This is like the next thing, dude. Yeah. And, uh, so we started the real triathlon podcast and, um, within two years, Nick kind of was like, man, let's just make a triathlon team. That's the next thing. Everyone's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, trendy, trendy, trendy. Yeah, exactly. So we, uh, we started the real tri squad and Nick's put so much work into that and, uh, it's to turn it into kind of what it's become. So we've had, we have some, you know, some very high level athletes now with Jackson, Tamara, Mark, Leslie, yeah. um, soon to be Lisa. And so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lisa's not actually officially part. No, she's part of it, but she's, you know, she's got, she hasn't really raced because she's been coming back from surgeries, but I'm saying she's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, soon to be you. up there with the, the other members of the crew. Yeah, for sure. So how does on the books RTS look in, in terms of like the brand and stuff. Cause you guys started the real triathlon podcast 
which the branding doesn't say like I've looked at it, it's a bike. It's real triathlon squad. It doesn't have kind of like the new yeah. RTS logo. So that, yeah, that actually, that's supposed to be updated like a year ago, but, um, kind of got put to the back burner. That's just a logo that I came up with in like 30 seconds was when we started the podcast. That was always supposed to be a temporary thing. And it's kind of just there. Um, but it should get updated soon. Uh, we got like, we're working on it and this year it's something Sweet. that we've definitely identified that it's like, I'd like to have like some sort of, cause I, I run the podcast and then, um, you know, everyone has a role on team. So like Nick runs the whole team and then, um, like Tamara does the, the news or the, um, yeah, the newsletter, the newsletter and stuff. So, Got it. uh, and Jack wins races. And so we like, um, I'd like to tie it together, whether it's real triathlon podcast powered by RTS or, or whatnot, but it should tie together soon. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Just the RTS podcast. Uh, that's just my opinion. Obviously, I yeah. don't know anything. So <laughs> yeah, so it's um, I guess yeah, it's the real triathlon podcast. Um, uh, like the name actually came from the podcast for the team. Yeah, that's how I was thinking. Uh, yeah, but if now that we're getting some name recognition with the team, it would make sense probably to switch it over to RTS to RTS podcast. Um, yeah. but like that name comes from. If you ever heard of the Real Coaching podcast? Nope, but I have now. Yeah, probably so it's have. they they haven't updated it in a long time but it's joel filial and uh, paula susa okay oh yeah um yeah so they had a podcast for a number of years and uh they talked about great things and um i was like man we got to do this but like from an athlete's perspective like less so yeah. from like a coaching perspective and theirs was called yeah, yeah, the real yeah. coaching podcast so kind of adopted that name and nice um yeah so i'm curious um legally is rts an LLC and is it owned by you guys or is it all Nick or um the full details uh you'd have to ask ask Nick about that but it's definitely it is an LLC okay and yeah it is its own entity um but I don't own any shares in it so um Nick is the primary shareholder okay nice yeah thanks I know it's kind of a personal question at any point you can say Seth that's not podcast material. So we can, we can definitely roll with that. Um, so then you are part of it. The, the podcast, do you have like a goal? Oh, first let me ask this actually, how many downloads do you have? If you're allowed to share, uh, to say we do our biggest year, I think was like, I'd have to pull it up now, but it's, we, we haven't hit, six digits in a year yet but okay. we're getting close nice yeah. that's awesome so do you have like a personal goal for growing the podcast moving forward since it's kind of your baby um yeah i i don't know i for me the big thing about the podcast is like it's just so much fun you know you get to sit oh, down so and talk fun. to yeah you get to talk to all these people that normally you wouldn't talk to you get to network you get to, if anything, it's like, it's an excuse for Nick, Jack and I to sit down and shoot the shit once a week. Yeah. Right. It's funny. And I've it's, listened to quite a few of them. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. We try to make it like conversation based. Yeah. Um, but like, I think there's a lot left, um, for us that we could do like marketing wise that we just kind of haven't. So yeah. I would like to 
do stuff like that. But I'm not big on um like goals for downloads and stuff. I just want to make the best, most entertaining podcast that we can and just have the most fun with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I w- the reason I asked is because it seems like it's pretty substantial. Um, and you guys have had on quite uh, some good stuff. And like I was listening to it the other day and almost fell off my bike. I was laughing so hard with just Nick <laughs> giving Jackson some hard time about one of his races. It was like three or four episodes ago. It was really funny. Um, good. That's but, what I like to yeah. hear. I want to hear. Yeah. No, it's great, man. Stuff, yeah. So. We'll link it in our podcast show notes too. So maybe we get a few more downloads. Yeah. For your, for yeah your podcast appreciate that. You'll have to, you'll have to come on with us one day and just, uh, Come on for the ride. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Seth. I know nothing. I'm just here, but uh, enjoy this podcast. <laughs> no, it'd be super fun, man. Yeah. Um. So what would you consider to be your greatest accomplishment? Oh, man. Um. Take as long that's as you, a big, we can always yeah. cut stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's a big question, man. Um. Well, I convinced my wife to marry me, which oh, I didn't even ask about that in the beginning. Yeah. Okay. That's huge. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty, I think that, that was a tall order. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think getting, getting certified was a big goal of mine. Um, getting certified that for... Uh, for prosthetics. Okay. As a certified prosthetist, getting that, that world's medal was, was great. Um, yeah. Finishing my first Iron Man was pretty cool. You know, there's there's a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you know, if my wife, my wife's never gonna listen to this, but so let's just say, getting my wife to marry me. Yeah, for sure. So when did you <coughs> when did you start dating her? When did you get married? We started dating. Twenty seventeen. Twenty eighteen. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah, it would have been, oh no, maybe it was 2017. Um, but we got married April 1st of 2022 in Vegas by Elvis. By one of the many Elvises. Yeah. Was this, was it planned that that's how you were going to do it? Or were you guys um, like, Hey, let's get married. Yeah. In so 10 we, minutes. we got, we got engaged like late February of that year. Okay. And then, uh, we were like, all everything was pushed back with COVID and all the dates yeah. and stuff, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're like, okay, let's just let's just go elope <laughs> in Vegas and by <laughs> um, Elvis, by Elvis. I was like, that's like so cool, like that's such a cool thing to do. Um, and I was like, we're gonna get married, we're gonna have a ceremony anyways, which we're doing, but we're like not coming up till this November, so that's almost you know that's like a year and a half. And uh, so I called up oh, Nick, who lives in St. George, and I was like, dude, Morgan and I are getting married in Vegas. Do you and your wife want to come down and be the witnesses and then, like, go out with us after and stuff? And Nick's like, heck, yeah. So Nick, like, raced down there in his Porsche Cayenne. And uh, nice. he was my he was the witness and best man and maid of honor. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. He so. was the best man and maid of honor? Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and the ring bear and the flower girl yeah. and everything else yeah that's exactly hilarious. that's yeah. so great so yeah well, congratulations was, thank you yeah it was 227 dollars and uh legally married so and then you're coming up than, uh, yeah 
Yeah, and you're coming up on um, getting or having the like, I guess, the family and friends. Yeah. Everybody can come wedding ceremony next month. You're saying? Uh, yeah, November twelfth. Oh, dude, nice. I'll think of you. I'm doing a mountain bike race that day, but I'll I'll oh, send nice. up some some good prayers of Thanksgiving for your yeah. for your marriage. That's exciting. That's yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. Um, so I'm curious, uh, just a few more questions and I'm sure you have to get back to work, but with, um, you being married now for over a year, uh, I'd really love for you to impart some wisdom amongst all of those who need marriage advice. What are some <laughs> things that you have learned in this time you've been married? Um, well, Ooh, yeah, you know, we've been married for so long so my my big thing is if you're training for an iron man and you're not divorced you're not training enough <laughs> okay <laughs> no no, no take it or leave it i'm making a note of the time we're gonna put that <laughs> into a reel 58 minutes yeah um i would say you know just be mindful that like this is a very selfish endeavor and um the sport yeah, the sport, not not marriage, yeah. but yeah, um, and like they, your spouse is gonna sacrifice a lot for you to be able to do this. So when mm. when you can, also be honest with them, um, like when you're going into it, but just like be grateful for yeah. them to allow you to do this, and don't forget that they are sacrificing a lot. So when they mm. do ask you to do something, maybe just suck it up and and do it, even though you might miss a nap yeah. or you might be tired from training or something but yeah. it goes yeah. goes a long ways so yeah for sure it's a give and take so i'm an entrepreneur by trade and you know i it's funny i'm gonna just talk about marriage for a quick second okay. uh but my wife uh agreed to marry me also my world's or my greatest accomplishment was <laughs> convincing her to like me because she put me in the friend zone actually uh when i first told her i liked her she was like this is at college and i was like ashley come outside the door i want to talk to you and she's like okay I told her, I said, I I like you and I'd like to pursue a relationship with you, basically. And she said, she stopped dead in her tracks. She said, Seth, oh, all these guys are liking me. I just want them to be my friends. Oh, boy. <laughs> so anyway, she put me in the friend zone. And then her cousin invited me to her house that next weekend and we hung out. Anyway, I convinced her to marry me and she liked me at some time later, which I thought I was a pretty good looking guy. I was always yeah. shocked that she didn't like me right off the bat. But anyway. Well, good for um, you, man. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. So... I will say though, the first like year of marriage, I was chasing this crazy dream of starting this company, and I was gone two weeks after being married for two weeks in the Philippines, and then gone to China multiple times a year. And my wife and I have gone through some pretty serious ups and downs with just crazy life experiences. Obviously, my own baggage, and then being held at gunpoint at one point. It's just oh, like man. we've been in some serious up and downs. But I will say, and I was talking to Nick about this actually. Whenever, so he was sharing that he made it to a place in his marriage where he was basically nasty to his wife, where she's like, Where are you going to be such and such a day? And he's like, I'm going to be riding my bike for four hours. And then she's like, What do you, what do you mean you're riding your bike for four hours? What are you going to be doing? And he's like, I'm going to be sitting in my darn seat for four hours. That's what I'm going to be doing. Anyway, she had every right to like push him to the couch for who knows how many days, but she didn't say anything. He got on the ride and he shared that he called her back later and was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Um, and then she kind of, confided and was like, yeah, I realized you were having kind of a tough time. Um, and when he shared that, it really hit me to like, yeah, a true marriage relationship is such a glorious thing when you can do those type of things, realize you don't have to die on that hill and, and, and you can move forward and kind of grow from that. And my wife has been so gracious, like you were saying with the triathlon stuff, 
I'm not even a professional athlete, but I probably train way more than I should. And I'm, you know, pursuing all these crazy dreams. And every time I come up with a new business idea, I'm like, hey, honey, this is the one. This is it. And I believe it with all my heart. And she's kind of the base to my acidity, if you will. And she's like, okay, well, we'll see when it comes. But yeah, marriage is is great. Triathlon is selfish. And if you can find a partner and figure out how to balance through that, like, yeah, for sure. I I want to like get you, your wife and all of these professional athletes, even like the high and low ones and get all their spouses in a room and be like, hey, so tell me about triathlon. And then like <laughs> kind of let them vent a little bit, but here's some of the banter. I'm sure it'd be really interesting. Yeah. Hell the gunpoint, man. That's wild. Yeah. You want to hear the story? Are you interested? I, I would love to hear the story, man. Okay, so here's the story. It wasn't your wife, was it? That was holding you at gunpoint? No, it actually wasn't. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i very fortunate um, it wasn't my wife. She's held me at point before with the stare <laughs> of death. Oh, yeah. And I, and I know what that looks like. And honestly, it's more fr- frightening at times. But no, my wife's great. Um, so anyway, I was going, um, just finished Clash Daytona. Uh, it was like two years ago. Uh, came back and it was the week after, so you know, easy runs and stuff. And I have a national park... Um, or state park, sorry, like 10 minutes from my house by running. So I was going to run down and go in this back maintenance road uh, with my dog off leash. It's like nine in the morning. No one's in the middle of the week. No one's out there. Anyway, I took my dog and I went and um, took my car and parked like on that maintenance road. And where the maintenance road is, like you can pull onto it, it's paved and it stops. And there's a sign that says like, do not enter. So I didn't enter. I parked my car in the grass and then I ran around the side and there's like a cattle gate and you can go around. And anyway, I did my run and I came back. And as I'm coming back to that sign, uh, there's a little fence before it. And there's this guy standing kind of in the path, the walk path next to where you can walk around the gate. And he looks at me and he looks just livid. And I, the closer I got, I realized I recognized him because he's kind of got this reputation in the area or he was um, for just being really aggressive Um and anyway, I am not the type to flight. I am the type to fight, typically. Yeah. I'm working on that, truly and honestly. <laughs> but anyway, I knew it wasn't going to be a good reaction. So I, he's like, what do you think you're doing? He's like, so mad. I ran out of the gate. Anyway, he chased after me. I got to my car, and he's like walking fast. And I loaded my dog in the back. And he had parked like his maintenance truck because he worked. He was in the maintenance department. I didn't know that at the time, for the park. And he parked his truck like as to block mine in so I couldn't back out. But I had room to where I could back around in the grass. So anyway, long story short, I get in the car and I was like, I'm just going to go to the ranger station and like I'll explain it to them. Well, he starts running after me as I turn my car on. And at this point, I'm like a little worried. Like, yeah. what is he going to do? So I start backing around and I back around his car and he jumps on my hood. And there's like scratches on my hood to this day. And he's beating on my hood, telling me to stop. And then as I'm like backing around the truck, he comes around to my driver's side window and he pulls out a, a pistol and I don't know if it's cocked or not, but you know the extended mags. I don't know if you're familiar with guns, yeah. but you can see. Yeah, so I could see that it was definitely loaded. And he, like, bangs the butt uh, on my glass. I'm surprised it didn't break. And then he points the gun, like, in my face and is like, stop. And I'm like, all the while, you know, you've got, it's like that meme where you got all these, like, calculations going through your mind. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I looked at literally down the barrel and I'm like, this this could be it. Like, I, I might die right here, right now. And I backed around, I get turned around and I'm spinning out. I have like this little turbo car and it's spinning out in the grass. I'm trying to get around him and he won't get off my hood. And I'm like, maybe I should run him over. Anyway, long story short, I, I got onto the road and I'm about to try to pull out, but he's still in front of my car. I decided I'm not going to hit him. 
And I got out of the car and I just started yelling at him. All the while, he's like got this gun right in my face. In yeah. hindsight, probably not the best thing to do with somebody who is a, an aggressor and they have a gun pointed at your face. So I called 911. I have the recording still, actually. Um, and yeah, 911 eventually came and the Rangers and they like blamed it on me, like that I was somehow in the wrong, which I shouldn't have been, I guess, w- with the way I did and parked my car. It technically was private property. Da 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 da. Anyway, long story short, again, the federal government pressed charges on him, and he's he's since um, been disbanded and moved away, and there's a restraining order and all this other stuff. Wow. But that, like, that shook me. Like, I, you know, like when I was 16, my dad died, like I said, and that yeah. was tough. But this was a different type of a thing, to see the anger in someone's eyes so intense that they could, they had a, a, a gun pointed at my face, and, like, he had my life in his hands at that point. And that was a very unsettling thing for me, and I had to go to some serious counseling and do some serious therapy to like work through that. Cause it was like, yeah, yeah wild. That's, that's a so wild that's a story, story, man. Yeah. So that's... thankful to be alive. Thankful for my yeah. wife. She, she's learning to be more okay with me when we go places. Cause sometimes she's been afraid that I'm going to be like, make intense situations <laughs> worse. So I am trying to like tone it down a notch and not fight so much, but yeah, man. So that's the story. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. Well, I think when we're just out running and and biking, we are fairly vulnerable and situations Mm -hmm. like this happen probably more than we'd like to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Be careful out there. I I have learned that a kind word turns away anger and a non-kind one definitely stirs up the wrath of an individual. So trying to trying to learn that lesson there. Not that he was, you know, in the right at all. But yeah. Um, Yeah. So. Switching gears one more time for a final question. This is a stupid question for you. Okay. So Tinder has added a feature to their app that lets your friends and your parents weigh in on the matches. I would love to get your thoughts on that. Friends and family. Um, friends and family, your parents. So well, if, if you're on Tinder, um, you know, I kind of miss the whole um, dating app, app thing. Yeah, I know there's a few out there and like they're all for different purposes and last last I heard Tinder was yeah. solely for hooking up. Um yeah. but I That's think for anything like that, I don't know if um if your friends and your family is the opinions that you want to have sometimes. Mm. Um I think yeah. Although they could also save you from making horrible mistakes at the same time. So yeah. I think there's a uh, pros pros and cons there for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I never really spent time on those apps. Um, so I, I don't even know how that would work. <laughs> well, it's written in stone now and forever documented. So when people are looking for advice on Tinder and they search it, they're going to come across Garrick Lowen. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think you know. Actually, I'm. I think people should go out and meet people like they did the old-fashioned way. I met my wife in a bar, and um, the old-fashioned old way. way. Yep, that's yeah. the way to do it. Were you sober when you met her? Uh yeah, we were. I was pretty sober. Yeah, pretty sober. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice man. Well, Garrick, thank you so much for jumping on and let me pry into your life some. Thanks for sharing some super personal stories, and then. Um, Obviously, your different goals, your role models and stuff like that. It's been super fun and looking forward to 
tag and everything so everyone can follow you along and follow the journey. Um, but looking forward to seeing how you do next year and hopefully qualify for Worlds. That would be the the goal, right? You want to get to New Zealand? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I got to or, – or Kona. But uh, you got to get to the start line, you know. Um, yeah. And that's been a struggle. So let's get there first. Yeah. But um, thanks for having me on, man. This is awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to not only, you know, the other RTS athletes, but um, just your other interviews going forward. So yeah. it was funny thanks, the man. day you actually reached out to me. It was like the day I first subscribed to the podcast. And oh, really? You reached, nice. out to me like, you reached out to me like hours later. I knew. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's interesting. I didn't actually realize that I was reaching out to like only RTS, RTS athletes at first. And I was like, oh, well, we've got to make it a thing now. I'll probably put them in their own little playlist. But it's been super nice getting to know all of you guys. And yeah, thanks for subscribing. Yeah. Of course, man. I'm, I'm, people seem to be mad that all these people, all these triathletes are doing YouTube channels and podcasts. And they're like, oh, it's getting too saturated. And I'm like, no, we can't have too much content. Like I just watch yeah. what you want to watch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Literally. I love yeah. it. How many yeah. channels are there? You know, back in the day when you're doing direct TV, there's like thousands of channels. Yeah, exactly. Nobody ever goes to all of them. Yeah. You got the few that you like. So there's yeah. content for everybody. That's exactly. Cool. So awesome, dude. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So I'll let you get back to your day too. So cool. you have a good one, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Garrick Lowen. Huge shout out to Garrick for coming on and sharing some of his stories, some very real and raw things um, for asking me a little bit about my life. That was cool to share a little bit of the story of what um, I've been through and just want to really lift him up uh, as he is going through um, some tough stuff, uh, but has a bright future ahead and um, with work and triathlon, everything he's got going on, um, just super honored to hear about it and get to follow that journey so make sure to check out the show notes for all of his links and stuff to go follow him and the rts podcast and the rts newsletter um so if you've made it to this point in the episode just want to say thank you so much for listening if you wouldn't mind please giving us a like a comment or subscribe if you're watching on youtube if you are on apple Podcasts, stitcher iHeartRadio, any of those google podcasts please give us a review uh, and subscribe or follow whatever it's called on the platform you are using and also want to thank our sponsors. I don't know if we've already showed this video or not, but basically Rudy Project is sponsors now. So if you want 35% off, um, go check out that link. Apologies if I said that twice. Still working out this podcast stuff. Also, if you want to go and check out our website, it is podcast, uh, excuse me, stupid questions podcast.show. The stupid questions podcast.show. What is it actually? I'm so sorry. I am still figuring this out. Stupidquestions.show. If you want to check out our website, subscribe to our newsletter. You can do all that there. If you want to check out the catalog uh, of in depth of everybody that's been in the podcast, do that there. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you in the next one. Peace.